call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 92 of Call It Friend of the podcast where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie and my co-host Danica Tiernan watched two horror films from 1972, Brian De Palma's Sisters and the Black Exploitation horror originator Blackula. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at CallFriendOfPodcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations. Peace. Live as fuck. What about it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You still over on the other side of Barcelona? I'm still in Barcelona. Yeah. That's right. Decided not to meet face to face. Yeah, I was I sorry. You got baby issues. Uh, well, first of all, it, first of all, it wasn't. Ba- it, it was woman issues because she had an acupuncture thing and didn't tell me about the appointment. Is that not the most female thing that you've ever heard? She didn't tell. Wait, which one? Doing acupuncture and not telling you? Both. Just messing with a man's schedule for some Chinese shit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then um, my baby was having a spaz attack a while ago. Um, oh, no. But no, no, she's doing all right now. She's asleep. What happened? Did she watch Blackula? No, she didn't watch. I th- she did watch some of Blackula, though, for sure. Um, did she have any comments? You know what? It was colorful enough to transfix her at a while. And I don't mean in that, you know, other connotation of it. Well, to be fair, they have very colorful faces. Yes. Makeup wise. Yeah. I mean, some of the vampires are green and some of them aren't. There is an interesting uh, Dulux chart of shades. Yeah, indeed. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to. No, no. I don't want to spoil Blackula. No, let's not spoil, spoil Blackula. Uh, I'll start let's off. I, I think it's fair to say that uh, both of these films this week are not for the casual movie watcher. You have to be interested in seeing what they were up to in the 70s to want to watch these. <laughs> but this is the same year as The Godfather, Deliverance. Did you call it The Godfather? Cabaret. You f- all the big ones. From Dublin. The Godfather. <laughs> Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> what was weird about that? I felt like something was weird when I said it. You, said, you said Godfather. Godfather. <laughs> Godfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair play. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, 1970. I mean, whatever about Blackula, that's a different story. But um, Brian De- Blackula is a giant fucking pile of shite. Blackula. Sisters is not. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blackula is a giant pile of shite. Spoilers for Blackula. It's horrendously bad. And I apologize now. It flirts with... No, but I'll, t- I'll tell you this. It flirts with maybe being ironic enjoyment for about the first 10, 15 minutes. Yes, that's the biggest problem. Okay, we'll get, we'll yeah, get yeah, to yeah. Blackula eventually. Sorry. But, right, so Brian De Palma was himself itch, like itching around being a sort of an indie director, and then he decided not to. He said he wanted to go Hitchcocky and schlocky, and it worked. Uh, and I think, I think Sisters is a whole lot of crack. There's uh, things in it that are, like, just incredibly dated, and that's why I said that other thing. It's... I could only heartily recommend it to somebody who's interested in what movies were like at a certain point. Because I think I think it would alienate so many people. It's so strange. It's so over the you top. You mean like people don't like seeing um, tomato ketchup coming out of wood? Well, that's one thing. I think you can genuinely trace the progress of cinematic technology with how good fake blood looks. That's one mm. thing. But the other thing is the plot is fucking nuts. In what sense? Which part? Well, the plot is... What? A conjoined sister who survives a separation operation 
sometimes feels like like basically switches into the personality of her dead twin sister. So so far, so psycho. In a it's a, in its odd way, a cocktail of psycho, rope, and rear window. Yeah. What's the line between homage and uh, copying? I think this is on the right side of that. I don't think I don't think they're copying. I think it's like it's as mad as as many Hitchcock plots, for example. You know. What about going out and getting uh, Bernard Herrmann out of retirement? Oh well, yeah, that's true. Um, but it really works for the film, don't you think? I don't remember the soundtrack at all. Maybe that's just because I've got the funky Blackula score in my head. <laughs> so ridiculous. What did you make of Sisters? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I was very worried early on. I mean, I enjoyed the first scene. I thought, I like where this is going. The little candid camera spoof thing. I was like, hey, I like where this is going. Oh, yeah, that was fun. And then it cut off and it was a game show. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. How dare you titillate like that and then not pay it off. Uh, no, I, I, at the start, I was a little bit worried. Like you said, I think the murder is really dated. But as soon as they introduced the the uh, Grace Collier character and all those kind of Hitchcockian elements of, or you know, someone mm. tried to solve the mystery, I think that went in really interesting places. And I was definitely, I was shocked actually. I was shocked by how much it was capturing my attention, and then. The part I really liked are the sort of like black and white, the black and white kind of dream sequence towards the end. Oh, yeah. Brent. Which felt like almost, I don't know, like some kind of David Lynch thing. I think Tapama shot that by hand. And then actually you see a bunch of the other characters from the film appearing in the background of that video. Yeah. And there's a lot yeah. of just creepy people standing around. That's what I mean with like the Lynch thing. There's just like weird. Yeah. It feels like you're in the red room or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the use of split screen is always yeah, great, solid. isn't it? Like, I like that a lot. When they're like, she's making her way across the street with the police. Mm-hmm. And then you see, yeah, like, yeah, Grace is coming in. And at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I thought the, it was. Uh, sister's on her way out. And uh, I've recent, like, I very recently rewatched Dress to Kill, as I think I mentioned on here, um, which, mm-hmm. like, this is, a, <laughs> this is a twin sister uh, separated uh, film with Dress to Kill. They're both about just odd peculiarities. I think De Palma is very knowingly looking at the camera and saying, look, I know it's not like this. I'm just using this as a device for my film in much the same way he does with transgender people in Dress to Kill. If you remember correctly, like one of the detectives that saves the day at the end is like a transgender man to woman cop and they never mention oh, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's it's not, it's not, so it like that's kind of his way of saying, I'm just using it as a plot device. I'm not necessarily taking the piss. And I think he more or less does the same thing in this. It, it you know, he he says, I get the seriousness. It's just a, pro- a plot device. My aunt's a conjoined twin. She says it's quite nice. No, is that an actual line from that? My aunt's a conjoined <laughs> twin. It sounds like a line from... Uh, Gareth Marenghi. Blackula. Blackula. <laughs> Blackula. My aunt lives in Transylvania. She says it's quite nice. How do you think this went down in 1972? I think it was quite warmly received now, from what I read. I mean, it cost $500,000, it grossed a million, so it's not exactly making mega bucks, mm. but seemed to be quite well received. Is was uh, Brian De Palma's first move away from weird comedies. Yeah, into Greenwich Village films. art house stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah this yeah, is yeah. his first step into the zone where he'd pretty much stay for most of his career. Where are you on Brian He's De Palma? He- Do you like him? Yeah, I, I do and I don't. He seems like the 
kind of poster boy for the sick boy theory of you know you you start out you work your way up yeah (laughs) i know what you're saying and then you've got it and then you lose it it's like at what point it has happened to so many people the last it's just a fact of life you get good and then you get shy ah there's some people slightly still hanging in strong i suppose licorice pizza was a very pleasant surprise for me and steven spielberg's generally you know, doing tip top. Yeah, that's true. He's a- but yeah, like Brian De Palma is a poster boy for this. Just be, what's the last thing he, uh, of any worth? Maybe Snake Eyes. I enjoy Snake Eyes. I, I watched Snake Eyes not that long ago. Within the last couple of years, uh, it doesn't hold up very well. The opening is very good. The ending is horrific with the, yeah. the twist that Gary Sinise is the bad guy. The, yeah, it's abs- is spoilers uh, for Snake Eyes. And there's a, there's a hurricane and the effects are terrible. I remember a van goes flying. But Snake Eyes is, Snake Eyes is the last sort of acceptable thing because after that's Mission to Mars, mm. Femme Fatale, Black Dahlia, he can't Redacted, g- Passion and Domino. He can't get things made anymore either. It's been a few no. years now and, and by all accounts he's, he's still always trying to get things made but his films sort of stopped making money. But I mean, he's got some... Carlitos Classics way in the bag. Um, yeah, I'm not a Scarface blowout. I'm not a huge um, Scarface fan, but it's undeniable at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got uh, Carrie dressed to kill this sisters. There's de- uh, f- uh, the f- Fury. Is it called the Fury or yeah, the Fury? Yeah, yeah, the one with um, what's his chops? The his husband from Rosemary's Baby, John Cassavetes, uh, and uh, Tyson Fury. What? Okay, yeah, yeah. It's a biopic. Name of the film. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Dude, John Cassavetes plays Tyson Fury. That's correct. Yeah, so I, I like Brian De Palma. I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was excellent. Maybe, shall I just run through the plot really quickly? Yeah, yeah, let's. Oh, yeah. One thing I wanted to point out. Did you read anything about the basis of those twins that is based on Masha and Dasha Krivoshlapova? No, and I meant to, actually. I saw it in the Wikipedia article. I didn't follow up. Tell me about them. Yeah, let me give you a quick run through. So these two twins, born in, uh, born in Russia, they were removed from their mother's custody at birth to be studied by Soviet physiologists. Their mother was told that her daughters had died soon after birth. The Soviet physiologist Peter Peter Anokin was studying the separate roles of the nervous system and the blood system on the body's ability to adjust to conditions such as prolonged sleep deprivation, extreme hunger, and extreme temperature change. So they were basically like taken into care. They were joined at the waist at a 180 degree angle with two heads, two torsos, four arms and one leg each. And then a a third vestigial limb at their back that had some movement. And uh, yeah, experiments that were done on them included packing one twin in ice to bring their temperature down to near fatal levels while observing temperature changes in the other twin, burning them, starving them, depriving them of sleep and electrocuting them in time with a metronome to test their reflexes. Jesus Christ. Staying, Staying alive. They were eventually released, given an elementary education and social housing in a flat with a single bed. At age 18, one of the twins, Dasha, tried to hang herself. How does that work? I don't know. And then, how do you if hang su- yourself? If she succeeds in hanging herself, then does the other lady just have to drag around the corpse forever? Or well, we'll we'll uh, come to that shortly. In later life, the twins became alcoholics. Only Dasha actually drank. His Masha was unable to because of a gag reflex. Well, hold on now. But because they shared the same blood supply, both would become. <laughs> <inebriated>. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
Masha fell ill on the 13th of April 2003, complaining of back pain. She died of a heart attack the following day. Dasha was taken to the First City Hospital and died another 17 hours later due to blood poisoning from the toxic byproducts of Masha's decomposing body. Jesus Christ, that is one of the grimmest things I've ever heard in my life. I've seen that in something, like in the X-Files or something, maybe? What is, like, where one of the twins dies and then the other one is stuck to them? And they're like, okay, well... That's me done. Man, imagine you were, like, you couldn't do that nowadays, but that sounds like the sort of plotline the X-Files used to have. (laughs) Yeah. And then Brian De Palma saw that story and said, you know what, that'd make a good little little thriller. That'll do me, yeah. And then he saw a big old bipolar Margot Kidder and said, she'll be right for this. He did indeed. But let me just run through the plot of the film a little bit. Do it. So it starts with advertising salesman Philip Wood, who wins dinner for two at a Manhattan restaurant on a candid camera style television show. Uh, what did you think of the old uh, the old TV show intro? Um, the fake out. Again, De Palma does a, a very similar thing in Dress to Kill, which is the TV show within the movie, uh, which is, again, just, I don't know. I don't remember that. What was that? There's an interview with an actual uh, transvestite woman that's actually, I think, was a real TV interview that one of the characters happens to be watching in the background in Dress to Kill. I think it's the son who's watching it. Oh. Um, yeah, and in this this candid camera one, it's like, I mean, it's pretty funny. Were there ever shows like that? There can't have I been. I think so. I feel like I've seen clips of things like that back in the 90s. What, like Tarrant on TV? That type of thing. They would show like a clip from the 70s and it was all very risque. Boing, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had little sound effects and stuff. I thought it was good. I wanted to watch that film without it being a TV show. Yes. They caught away. I wanted to see Porky's 3. It it uh, it made me think of, like, like it's, it would be like the soft core version of a pornographic video game. I have no experience of that. Neither <laughs> so, do I. I don't know what you're talking about. I definitely do not know what those are like. Mm-hmm. I, was, so, I wasn't addicted to them for, like, three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> So Philip Wood uh, wins a dinner for two with uh, this young model. When she flirts with him, he agrees to take Danielle Breton, a young French-Canadian model and aspiring actress who was part of the prank as his date. Now, what about that accent, huh? I thought she was fine. I mean, she is Canadian. Yeah, but like, this is the thing that I was wondering about is like, so she's actually Canadian. So she's not from French. I know. Yeah, I know. But perhaps she has the accent nailed and that's what French Canadians sound like. She sounds like it was fine. Eastern European to me. Uh, No, I thought it was okay. I liked her little grammar mistakes and stuff. I think she's really good in the film. I think she's really good. Yeah. A lot of fun. She's good. Yeah. After dinner, they retire to her apartment to have sex. Oh, this is the Me Too meat cute where she's clearly hammered and he's not. (laughs) Army hammered. The next morning, Danielle tells Philip that Dominique, her twin sister, has come to celebrate their birthday. At her request, he goes to the drugstore to refill a prescription. That's kind of weird that she just gives him that and says, like, go and get me more psycho pills. Did he not even look at what they were? I'll have some red pills, please. (laughs) Big red ones. (laughs) <laughs> and then picks up a birthday cake at a bakery on his way back. Man, imagine... He gets it, the ladies to write the names on the birthday cake. Like, yeah. it, it, me at any age, if I was in that situation, I'm, like, taking the opportunity to find out what those pills are for before I'm ever seeing that woman again. <laughs> yeah, so that's a more modern interpretation. I'm immediately getting out this the phone going, crazy. what the... <laughs> uh, can I have some more antipsychotics, please? When he returns from the bakery... 
he is stabbed to death by the crazed Dominique. She's got different hair and clothes and everything, which is weird. Yes. Before he dies, he tries to alert a neighbor by writing help in his own blood on a window. <laughs> nice. It's a very early Twitter. Jennifer Salt sees him. Jennifer Salt, the neighbor, Grace Collier, reporter named Grace Collier, calls the police. Danielle's ex-husband, Emil, helps her clean up and hide Philip's body by folding it inside the sofa bed. A la rope. Apparently... Brian De Palma filmed this in one shot to prove to a disbelieving producer that it was possible to hide someone inside a sofa. Huh. I didn't think it was going to fit either. I was pleasantly surprised. There you go. Well, they did a good job. Yeah. But then they left a big stain on the back with blood. But yeah, that wasn't good. No. Ultimately, nothing came of that. So it's fine. They should have Grace drained the, the body of all fluids before putting it they in They should have. If only Blackula had been there. This is it. It really helped out. Grace accompanies the skeptical Detective Kelly and his partner on a search of Danielle's apartment, but Danielle insists that she has been alone since last night. What What did you make of the uh, cake cake drop? Uh, it's you know it's perfect. It's fun. It's a nice little plot piece. It is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like she sees that she's right and immediately drops the cake. It's silly. It's fun. But she's fine. She's got the name of the bakery where the cake came from. So she's got some evidence that she can piece, piece together. She is bit, like, just based on the way she's dressed, she's 70s. But like in every other aspect, she's the, you know, the atypical Hitchcock leading lady. It's like something's not right here kind of thing, you know. Some of the criticism of the film as in like just talking about it in general, was about the perceived commentary on the women's liberation movement. Yeah, I, I saw something about that, but I think that's kind of baloney. I think that's a whole bunch of baloney. Yeah, I didn't read that into it. The film analyzes the ways in which women are oppressed within patriarchy society on two levels, the professional Grace and the psychosexual Danielle slash Dominique. I just think that was just what was going on <laughs> in the 70s. I don't think it had that depth. yeah. I think I think it was just Brian De Palma was like, I'm going to make a film starring my girlfriend and her ex-flatmate. Yeah. And I think it was that that deep. It's going to be wild and there'll be some interracial sexy time. Mm-hmm. That's definitely what he was thinking. I mean, if anything, there's more of a commentary there, isn't there? I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, where the white women at? Here the fucking white women are. And he gets killed. There's something of that. Yeah, yeah. Certain that Danielle is hiding the murderer, Grace persuades her editor to let her investigate the story on the basis that the police are ignoring her because Philip was black. That just lines up with what you said. Yeah, yeah. She hires Larch, a private investigator played by the great Charles Durning, to gain access to the apartment. This is your kind of rear window-ish elements where Larch is running around inside the flat, but then they're moving the body at the same time and you're like, oh my God. But then he, uh, then Grace phones the house and then Larch goes out the window and puts his thumb up like, just don't. I don't see what that really accomplished for him. That <laughs> he was like, oh, okay. That's, yeah, yeah. I don't know what that, that was. That solved a problem for him. How did that get him from being untrapped? That doesn't make sense. The feeling I got was like, he's worried about being trapped in with some murderers, right? I guess. Yeah. But he's looks, he looked like he could handle himself. Anyway, he determines that the couch contains the body. He also finds a thick file from the Roselle Institute on the Blanchion twins, Canada's first conjoined twins. Grace's further investigations uncover that the twins were separated only recently and then Dominique apparently died during the operation. 
Oh, well, we forgot to mention um, Chekhov's mental institution. When is that introduced? The mother is, uh, when she's talking with her mother, her mother goes, there's this mental oh, in- yeah. there's this mental institution where the mental people just walk around doing stuff. In the stuff. neighborhood, yeah, and yeah. everyone says it's a shithole. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So we'll we have Chekhov's mental institution on the table. Mm-hmm. As Larch pursues the truck that Emil called to haul the couch away, Grace tails Emil and Danielle to a mental hospital. Here you go. When she is caught, Emil convinces the staff that she is a new patient. I liked all that. I thought yeah. that was very, like, that feeling, that lack of control where someone says, like, but you've always been here, or that kind of sense of um, arguing, uh, arguing that you're sane is just really scary. Did you see that... Um camera phone movie that steven soderbergh made a couple of years back yeah unsane yeah yeah i quite like that did you like that uh it felt quite gimmicky i remember thinking it was okay Th- that was the plot right yeah yeah i've already largely forgotten it so the the main character is it, um what's her name claire foy yeah yeah uh the uh, queen elizabeth to you um right thank you i would say it's um I mean, it's almost the best plot line I know about people being forcibly institutionalized. But you, mm-hmm. but you know what the best one is? Uh, Peep Show. The episode of Peep Show about the sectioning. That is correct. <laughs> is it? Is that That's it? <laughs> totally. If you try and section me, I will section you so <laughs> All right, fast. boys. You've had your fun with the sectioning now. <laughs> He's mental. He thinks there's a pigeon in, in Catalonia that controls his legs. <laughs> Emil sedates Grace and promises to reveal everything to her, placing Danielle on the bed beside her. Grace has a bizarre dream about the twins' past and their separation, in which she herself is Dominique. Well, it's a. I like that. It's a hypnosis-induced uh, dream, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's very old school. You you don't get away with that anymore. No, no, you can't just throw hypnosis at a problem. But uh, I appreciate it, and it was it was really effective. All of a sudden, Jennifer Salt being the twin, I thought that worked really, really well. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, that's. You remember when they used to do that? When you would like in a in a plot, they would be okay. I'm going to hypnotize you to have you think that there there is no body because there was no murder. Hmm. When did that stop working? I would... L- it still works for me because it's just <laughs> silly and fun. Um, but I don't know. It'd be interesting because in the original Aladdin, it's quite a, a, a big thing. Jafar is able to hypnotize people. He hypnotizes the Sultan. I wonder do they use it in the new Aladdin with Will Smith. Mm, I'm never going to watch I'm, it. I'm never ever going to find yeah, it. Yeah. Nor am I even going to go as far as reading a synopsis of it to find out. <laughs> so let's just leave, leave that lie. <laughs> yeah, that's, some mysteries are better left. I unsolved. guess it's uh, uh, up to us to roll the dice, make a film with that as a plot device, and see do people yeah. accept it or see not. What happens. See if people are into it. Yeah, yeah, I'm into it for sure. I'll be, it'll be a family comedy. Emil tells Danielle that the separation was necessary to save Danielle from the violent Dominique who died during the surgery. Whenever she has a sexual experience, Danielle now disassociates to a violent Dominique personality. Well, should and that also, if you remember correctly, um, in Dress to Kill, it's only when Michael Michael Caine gets horny that his female side wants to yeah. wants to kill the ladies because she's like, no, don't get horny, I'm a lady. I don't. Yeah, I don't see this as a patriarchal sexual psychosexual uh, thing here, but no, but I mean, it's just. You I don't know. think it has that depth. Uh, I think that's. But, no, yeah. not at all. But I mean, they're, I, th- I think they're good companion pieces for their silliness. No, definitely. I'm just, I'm just arguing back against the criticism of it that it's. It happens tw- as a depth. I don't think is there. It happens twice in Dress to Kill, where uh, women go to Michael Caine's characters, like, "Do you want to sleep with me?" And he goes, "Yes." <laughs> 
Yes. It was a different time. Yeah, yeah. It's 1980. Nice. Um, Whenever she has a sexual experience, Danielle now disassociates to a violent Dominique personality. Emile kisses Danielle passionately to bring forth Dominique. Oh, yeah. She slashes him in the groin. Yeah, yeah. Both stabbings are stabbings in the willy. Did you notice that? He bleeds to death. Or maybe this, uh, I'm starting to come around on this whole patriarchy thing. Uh, yeah. Willy stabbings. Grace awakens. Mm-hmm. Willie Stabbings, a great uh, R&B artist. Grace awakens to find the sorrowful Danielle tenderly embracing Emile's bloody body and screams in That's horror. gross, isn't it? It's not great. Yeah, yeah. It's not a good time. Margot Kidd are getting the Kelly, shift on. Go on. Detective Kelly arrests Danielle, who denies knowledge of the murders and says that her sister is dead. Kelly interviews Grace, who's still under Emile's hypnotic spell, repeating lines that he fed her to deny there was a murder. And then the weird ending. Weird which, ending. Uh, I mean, I... What what's happening here? Larch is in Canada. He's tracked the sofa. It's next to a tra- it's in a train station in the middle of nowhere in a box or like under a sheet or something. And he's up a like up a telephone pole. Yeah, yeah. Going like ooh, like who? Ca- wh- why is the is the idea? They don't need anyone to touch the body. They just need to recover the body, don't they, to prove? Like, that that would be, like, enough proof, really. I want to see the second movie where just some Canadian family buy a sofa bed with a dead black guy in it. <laughs> it's, it's actually, that's quite difficult to get hold of up in Canada. There's a You have to pay a high premium for that. <laughs> uh, most sofa beds have got nothing in them. <laughs> rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, apart from the slightly rocky start with the whole gang together and the murder and then that little part at the end there with Larch at the train station. Apart from that, the film completely had me engrossed and kind of guessing where it was going, paying attention. And it surprised me multiple times. Yeah, yeah, me too. Which is impressive from a film that's 50 years old Uh, in a genre like this. I really enjoyed um, the section where they're in the bar and... uh, she he goes to her. Who's who the fuck is that guy? And she's like, Oh yeah, that's my ex husband. Don't worry about him or whatever. And Margot Kidder is doing this great performance, which is of like, you know, I, I I've seen this type of person before. Just a hot lady who doesn't understand that you know men will kill each other for you <laughs> or something. I don't know. There's just this strange thing where she's like, Oh no, don't worry about him. And the 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 dude is just going, No no, I think I'm going to worry about him. Actually, I think it's worth worrying about this guy following us around, staring at you. It's funny. Yeah. To be fair, Philip had plenty of uh, opportunities to not get stabbed to death. That's true. That would be a good point at which to go like, maybe I should just give this a miss. Yeah, to- I totally give it a miss. But I mean, you know, Staten Island white lady, what are you going to do? Oh, that's another part that there's something that I really enjoyed. It was just seeing again 1970s yeah, New yeah. York. Staten Island Ferry, newly completed World Trade Center. I wonder what ever happened to that. Yeah, what what did ever happen to that? I remember The last I saw of it, it was in the intro to The Sopranos. First that's two it. seasons. No one knows. <laughs> I think it got edited out. Indeed. Uh, I've got three cast members I want to talk about. Is one of them Margot Kidder? That's it. That is the main one. Hell yeah. A little bit about Jennifer Salt, a little bit about Charles Durning. Okay, let's do it. I got a ton here by Margot Kidder. I'm going to fire through this. I got a lot of stuff. Yeah, she had quite a life, didn't she? She did have a a mad old time. Canadian actress Kidder had mental health issues from a young age, which stemmed from undiagnosed bipolar disorder. At age 14, she attempted suicide by swallowing a bottle of codeine capsules after her then-boyfriend broke up with her. In 1966, she found herself pregnant by her boyfriend, who arranged for an illegal abortion, 
The abortionist was located in a hotel room and filled Kidder's uterus with Lysol to terminate the pregnancy. Jesus Christ. Uh, That's a bit like... Uh, Vera Drake. What's it? Yeah, Vera Drake. Very Vera Drake. So horrendous 1966 illegal abortion. She moved out to LA to become an actress and lived with future Sisters co-star Jennifer Salt. Kidder was also dating Brian De Palma around the time of the film. They frequently held parties with guests such as Paul Schrader, Blythe Danner, and Bruce Paltrow. The final two there, the parents of old Gwyneth. I did not know that. Yeah, her mummy's Blythe Danner. Her dad, her friend of the show, Bruce Paltrow, her daddy. In the summer of 1975, Kidder was hired to direct a documentary short chronicling the making of The Missouri Breaks, a Western starring Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson. She said... Uh, She's uh, talking about the documentary. She said, I was such a jerk. I mean, I thought they wanted a real documentary. So I filmed all the behind the scenes rows and arguments and shot footage of the vet shooting up the horses with tranquilizers. So the actors would look like, uh, look as if they rode it well. What an idiot I was. Then when they fired me, I realized what they wanted was a publicity film. Oh, wow. It sounds like she made a great film. Yeah, I know. I want to watch that film. Like Cocksucker Blues. Do you ever hear of Cocksucker Blues? No, what's that? It's this um, Rolling Stones uh, tour documentary that they hired this Cinema Verite guy to put together. And his directing technique was he just left uh, Super 8 cameras um, or the mic'd up version of them, let's say, all around the Stones all the time. And people were just encouraged to randomly pick them up and film and he would edit together something that summed up the 1972 Exile on Main Street tour. Um, you can find it online, but the, the Stones immediately said when they saw it, they're like, oh, good God, you can never release this. This is crazy. I've seen it. There's like this one scene where Keith Richards gives a groupie heroin. Like it's nice. It, it, like, oh God, it's like, look into the camera. Say you love smack, darling. <laughs> I love Jesus. smack. Like, it's so fucked. But it's found its way online, like, but uh, yeah, it sounds like it could have been that, but for the movie business. You imagine how much shenanigans there would have been going on on a movie set with Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson? Marlon Brando Jack Nicholson? No. They're pros, professionals, nothing bad. Kidder married novelist Tom McGuane. McGuane? Nerd! And Relic. And relocated to Livingston, Montana, where she spent the rest of her life. In 1978, she appeared in her most famous role as Lois Lane in Richard Donner's Superman. Mm. The year after that, she went on to star in the Amityville Horror. Uh, Kidder called the film a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm beginning to I like this Margot Kidder woman. She's all right. She's a bit of a kidder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was also in a film that I uh, watched just last week. She was in Black Christmas. That's right. Mm. And she's very good in 1974. I think Margot Kidder's great, actually. Now, like, now that I'm thinking of it, yeah. she's really good in Lois well, Lane. She's really good in Sisters, and she was great in Black Christmas. Yeah. Back in 1979, she also hosted SNL. In the 80s, Kidder dated Richard Pryor and Canadian PM Pierre Trudeau, father of the. Oh, yeah, the champion blackface. Justin. This would have been after Nancy uh, Trudeau left him and went off I to uh, Studio 64 and had. Uh, Loads of affairs with rock stars and stuff. Oh, good for her. Mm. Margot Kidder's career went into a bit of a spiral, though, in the 90s. In December 1990, Kidder was seriously injured in a car accident on the set of the television series Nancy Drew and Daughter, which sounds good. It left her partially paralyzed as a result of spinal injury. She was unable to work for two years, causing her financial difficulties, resulting in debts of over $800,000. 
Kidder attempted to sue the Canadian producer Nelvana for $1 million in damages, but did not receive a settlement. And her launching of the suit rendered her ineligible for Canadian workers' comp. The curse of Superman. Boom. <laughs> yes, it's, that's right. Everyone gets paralyzed. Here's where this is. This next is uh, the next episode here is probably the most famous of her mad ones. Can you remember this? This is the one which I can probably. Kind of, I've read about this in the last couple of days, yeah, but I don't know off yeah. the top of my head what you're talking about. Kidder's mental health was declining during this period. This period, she had received a diagnosis of bipolar disorder in 1988, which she rejected at the time and refused the recommended lithium treatment. In April 1996, she experienced a widely publicized manic episode in Los Angeles. At the time, Kidder had been working on an autobiography when her laptop computer became infected with a virus. Oh, yes. Which caused it to crash and her to lose three years' worth of drafts. Kidder flew to California to have the computer examined by a data retrieval company who, who ultimately were unable to retrieve the files. She entered a manic state and disappeared for four days. She was later find, found by a homeowner in the backyard of a Glendale residence and was taken by the LAPD to Olivew UCLA Medical Center in a distressed state, the caps on her teeth having been knocked out during a rape attempt. She was subsequently placed in psych- psychiatric care. Good God. Back up your files, folks. Yeah, right? That's what will happen. Oi. She had a rough old time. She had a rough, rough old time. In 2005, she became a U.S. citizen Unfortunately, Kidder died on May 13th, 2018 at her house in Livingston, Montana. Suicide. At the age of 69. Her death was, uh, the coroner concluded her death was a result of self-inflicted drug and alcohol overdose. Yeah. She was very politically active. She was, pro- she, even in the year, the couple of years prior to her death, she was constantly protesting at the, what's the name of wherever they were fracking, whatever the name of the big, like on the Native American reservation. Up there, somewhere near Montana. Was it in South Dakota? I can't remember. The Black Hills? Whatever it's called, that one. She was out there all the time in freezing cold temperatures. Went home, had a little uh, little bit of whiskey to heat herself up. A little bit of crack cocaine, keep herself awake. Was it crack? No, I don't. I'm just speculating. I'm sorry, Margot. Yeah, God rest her soul. Friend of the show. Friend of the show, Margot Big Kidder. Fan. Big fan of the show, she was. She- I have much less to say about the other two, you'll be glad to know. Uh, well, I hope they had happier time of it. <laughs> I'd imagine so. Jennifer Salt is Grace Collier. She is the daughter of blacklisted screenwriter Waldo Salt, mm. who won a, a Academy Awards for Midnight Cowboy and Coming Home, mm. as well as a nomination for Serpico. Not the only blacklisted uh, person this week. Continue. Jennifer Salt had a pretty short career as an actress. She appeared in Midnight Cowboy and two previous Brian De Palma films, The Wedding Party and High Mom. Speaking of moms, Grace's mother was portrayed by Jennifer Salt's own mother in the film, Mary, Mary Davenport. Oh, cool. She followed her father's footsteps into writing, co-writing the adaptation of Eat, Pray, Love with TV favorite Ryan Murphy. And she worked as a producer and writer on a number of Murphy's projects, including Nip Tuck, American Horror Story, and Ratchet. I recently she's watched in, she's, a, in TV land. A, a Ryan Murphy thing, but I don't think I brought it up on what I've been watching because I didn't enjoy it at all. It was called. I think. Or did I? Did two I? Two out of three. Two out of three series were were created by Ryan Murphy nowadays. 
Yeah, yeah, he's oh, a shit ton of things he's responsible for. Right? What was it? Did you watch the Dammer thing? Or something? No, I watched the first episode of it. Uh, Belen watched more of it, but I like I don't know. I went through such a period of reading all about all these serial killers. I know the Dammer story, you know, top to bottom, and <laughs> yeah. it just wasn't the idea of watching them go through it at such painstaking detail was actually disturbing to me. Yeah. I didn't want to watch it just for that. I was like, this is gross because it is a horrible story. You're getting Dammer wrong. Stop getting Dammer wrong. <laughs> Oy, damned if you do um, yeah. what was the Ryan Murphy thing you watched The Watcher with old Bobby Cannavale oh, and yeah. uh, Naomi Watts yeah, I think you did mention it it's halfway interesting but the ending it just sucked so bad uh, that I yeah nobody should watch The Watcher who watches it a lot of well, people I mean, Ryan there's going to be a second series churning out yeah, he's churning out these shows he's a ridiculous it's be hard man. to maintain quality he's a ridiculous yeah. man what's the what, uh, and he also directed Eat Pray Love the, and co-wrote it the Julia Roberts one yes I did not know that alongside Jennifer Salt yeah yeah Mark Kermode hates this film I've never seen it I'm just passing judgment again without having seen it but I'm going to leave that with the Will Smith Aladdin. Yeah, I'd say it's a steaming pile of shit. It's I'll never mystery. watch this. It's a mystery. Go on anyway. Salty balls. Charles Derning. Oh, Charles That's the Derning. Well, Jennifer Saltz. She's done. It's old Charles Derning next. Tell me it's about Joseph Charles Larch. Derning. The late great Charles Derning served in the U.S. Army during World War II. He was drafted at the age of twenty. On June 6, 1944, Durning was assigned to the 1st Infantry Division and was in one of the first waves of American troops that landed on Omaha Beach during the D-Day invasion of Normandy. Nice. Good for you, buddy. He's a real one. He's a real guy. After being wounded by a German anti-personnel mine, he spent six months recovering. Durning was reassigned to the 398th Infantry Regiment and participated in the Battle of the Bulge. Nice. D-Day and Bulge. This ski's like a walking band of brothers. Not anymore, he's dead. But still, he was. <laughs> For his valor and the wounds he received during the war, Durning was awarded the Silver Star, Bronze Star, and Three Purple Hearts. Take that. Fair play, man. Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood gave him uh, equally very important uh, recognition. He was nominated for two Academy Awards during his career, 1983 Best Supporting Actor nomination for The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Never seen that. It's a nice place. You've been there. Yeah, I well, there's a film as well, apparently. <laughs> and also he was in, uh, he received a nomination for To Be or Not To Be. Okay. No idea what that is, but it sounds a Truncated version of Shakespeare, yeah, something. You'd imagine so. But his most no- notable performance is probably as the Crooked Cop, Lieutenant Snyder and The Sting my favorite Durning yeah. performances from one of my favorite and often overlooked Coen Brothers films, the Hudsucker Proxy, where he plays the suicidal company owner wearing Hudsucker. Huh. The Hudsucker Proxy. You're a fan of Hudsucker Proxy? H- Tim it, Robin? It, it, Hudsucker Proxy is the one where they invent the hula hoop. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've only ever seen that once, but I remember enjoying it a lot. There was one line that always comes back to me. Um, I've seen it many times. Which is uh, Tim Robbins going, for kids, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I must watch ah, that again. Muncie Girl. Yeah. It's a great film. It's a great uh, old film. But, uh, by all accounts, they, the, the boys don't know will they be working together again. Well, they branched off into their own stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I, I think they're... Well, I, I'm fairly sure I've seen absolutely everything. I still haven't seen the one with old old and El Ehrenreich. Oh, Hail Caesar. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, no, I haven't, and I haven't watched the one with Franco, the last thing. The Witch? The Ballad of... Bur- oh, Buster, Buster Scruggs. Scruggs. I really enjoyed that. I had a great time with that. I haven't seen that one. I thought that was great. Um, all right. So clearly the winner for this week was Sisters. 
I mean, I, I was thinking, like, what could I have paired sisters up with? Why didn't I just go for some other Brian De Palma thing? I think I wanted to teach you a lesson. You did. But I needed to teach myself a lesson at the same time. It was a bitter pill to swallow. But we had some much-needed diversity on the podcast, and we, we got to experience 1972 black exploitation epic Blackula. I learned that you don't have to watch all the famous movies. You just think you do sometimes. But this will have me, like, like you know, I'll always have it in my head to, you know, watch a, you know, a bunch of old school, odd hammer horrors. I mean, and I've seen some good hammer horrors, but I know there's other ones of them that are, forgive the pun, hammy as fuck. But, you know, I put it in my head as like, oh, I'll just give the time and watch them. But no, to be fair, I'm probably... I'm having. I'm giving too many digs at films I've never seen. Let's just cut to the chase. Black- well, you you have a far higher tolerance for things like that. Yes, than I, I do. That's true. That is true. And to be fair, so this hurt me more than it hurt you. That's probably fair as well. I don't. The worst thing about this was I. By about one hour in, I was quite bored. Yes, it is surprisingly boring. Yeah, um, and especially considering they're dishing out all the sorts of stereotyping and jiving that I would normally laugh my ass off. And I did laugh up to a certain point. There's a, there's, <laughs> there's some great moments to touch on. There, partic- there's a couple of classics. Particularly with all the non-actors in the middle of things. <laughs> they're clearly yeah. not actors and they're, they have dialogue. It's pretty funny. Yeah, uh, you know... In the in the opening few minutes of this, I was like, "Oh, I could definitely have fun with this. This is kind of goofy, yeah. goofy sort of ridiculous camp fun." And then it kind of it just it does lose its way completely. Is that them just taking it too seriously? I think Why so. Why does it go off the rails so badly? Because they're not willing to lean into it. Because it's really funny at the start. Like yeah, at the start, it's great old times. So uh, uh, like, uh, I could run through the the, the plot rather yeah, yeah, quickly. Yeah. But one thing that I figured while watching it, by the way, is um, for, I think Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula took an influence from this. Because have you ever read the book Dracula? Uh, a million years ago, yeah. Well, that whole plot line that uh, Francis Ford Coppola's film takes on about him falling in love with Winona Ryder because she reminds him of some lady and the whole prologue sequence, that's all, That none of that's in the book. That was all a, mm. a, a Coppola invention um, and the Im, like love matched up with immortality, etc. That's all. Have Cop- you seen like all the other film versions of Dracula? Was it not from one of them? I've seen the Bela Lugosi one, which is like is an extremely truncated version of the story and it doesn't include any... Bela Lugosi's dead. That's right. Is that something? Did you just say a thing and I don't know it? Is it a song? I love a song. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Who sings that song again? Oh, some cunt. Yes, some cunt. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, um, yeah. So I, I think basically that... I think it's very possible that Francis Ford Coppola got the idea for essentially the engine of his 1992 film with Keanu Reeves, I Know Where the Bastard Sleeps. Um, <laughs> well, he has a very similar... It's very similar to the trajectory of a guy who had it and then lost it badly. Who? Keanu Reeves? No, no. Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That that's same, fair. Yeah, yeah, exactly totally. Exactly that. The same. He's like, he might as well be... Totally, totally. De, and he's put... Francis Ford he, De Palma. He's put all his savings into his... Um, 
his next film called Megalopolis. He's been trying to make it for like the last 30 years or something. Oh, I'm sure it'll be great. And oh yeah, but that's the thing is like, I remember if, uh, like most, it's over 10 years ago now when he released this film Tetro uh, with Vincent Cassell. And I remember he was doing interviews and stuff and they like in every single interview, he was like, no, I'm pretty sure this is the best film I've ever made. It's, it's so personal. I didn't have to adapt anybody's material. And you're just there looking at it. It's like a story about two, a black and white story of, uh, two brothers reuniting in Buenos Aires and and you're just looking at it going no it's not it's you're not yeah. you're not going to make any good things anymore Francis Ford Coppola that's no. the way it is um anyway uh, there's a curiosity in me to watch that horror movie he made with uh, Val Kilmer a few years back um Twixt I think it's called but whatever uh, all of that besides the point we're talking Blackula today Blackula okay so um <laughs> Actually, that's the funniest moment of the movie where he names him. That's <laughs> so funny. I'll name. cover that. I'll cover that here. So <laughs> the the premise itself is excellent. I am c- gonna I'm gonna read um, from the Wikipedia just to, as clear as day. Get the premise so I won't fuck it up because it's quite funny. In 1780, African prince Mamuwalde uh, goes to Transylvania to seek the help of Count Dracula in suppressing the slave trade. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny to I'm be pretty fair. sure that's what happened have you seen any other black exploitation films yeah i mean shaft is the first thing that comes to mind which is a great film shaft is great and yeah. and and holds up yeah totally have you seen and and Sh- to be fair shaft is the granddaddy i've only seen yeah. one other that's quite well respected but it's also it's almost black dynamite how ridiculous it is it's um is it like badass or something no it's called a uh, coffee have you seen Coffee? No, it's with no, I haven't heard Pam of Greer. There's like every Pamela Greer. I only know of the black exploitation boxes to tick without having seen many of the films. I've just read about it as a genre, and it just mm. tips. It takes all of those, like the black intellectual who's actually, you know, betraying his community, the white community trying to pump drugs into the black community. Yeah, there is a fight between. Pam Greer and these other two white ladies that get jealous because their boyfriend is more into Pam Greer and uh, all the girls get naked in the middle of this party fighting each other just ripping each other's dresses off and stuff like that it's fucking hilarious I'm, and I'm it, listening and a guy gets shot in the dick at the, uh, near the end it's very very funny I quite enjoy it why didn't it. we watch that I don't well you're the one who picked but we could watch it it, it, it is fun I would watch it again coffee is definitely fun um, so Dracula refuses uh, and insults Mamuade by making a pass at his wife oh yeah that's right he's like but your wife is very hot she can come and have sex with me and he's like uh, Mamuade is like darling we're leaving but then there's a scuffle with Dracula's menu, minions and um, he gets bitten by Dracula and turned into a vampire and then Dracula says, I'm going to call you Blackula. <laughs> he wasn't big on uh, naming things. And both of the, like, I mean, to be fair, both um, William Marshall uh, and whoever was playing Dracula, um, I'll have a look now here, uh, and a guy called Charles McCauley, they're having great fun, completely hamming it up. And it does seem like it'll be a fun, hammy movie. Uh, William Marshall feels like he's like that kind of old school actor who turns up places and goes like, you know, hello, you and he were buddies, weren't you? <laughs> well, he, he's got a great voice. Him and um, 
like what, what's the chap's name he's a he, uh, him and elisha cook jr um are two in it that seem like sort of genuine <laughs> actors yeah yeah, yeah yeah and they're like well he was in the killing wasn't he was he i'm pretty sure he was he's like a, he's a weak husband whose wife bullies him yeah 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 you're right oh wow yeah uh and i think the your man the uh <laughs> i think he calls himself a science detective uh, oh yeah <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I have him here. Uh, Th- Thalmus, Ra- Thalmus Ra- Ras- Yeah, yeah. He seems like he's halfway to serious. But then the thing is, is like, if they were all just guys taking it super serious, it could mainly maybe maintain the camp funniness. But it's just mixed in with so much amateur hour from the sound yeah. to the lighting to the sets that it kind of just wears thin on you. I found anyway. Um, yeah, definitely. And it needn't necessarily, like you can keep, you can keep up camp ridiculousness for a whole film. Like the, the Italians will you show should, you that. I think we should skip through this plot synopsis. I'll, just, I'll, I'll, go, I'll, I'll, I'll go through it. <laughs> definitely the next bit. The oh next yeah. Bit we need is, the next bit. We totally way. need the next bit. It's the best bit. So then <laughs> in 1972, two hilariously gay interior, your decorators and you know they're gay have gone to, have gone to transylvania yeah they're antiquing famously in, quite in transylvania quite forward thinking place especially in, in 1972 for a gay can, interracial couple can you imagine what 1972 <laughs> romania was like for gays good god <laughs> And you know they're gay because they say the the village. That's how you know they're gay uh, before anything else. Then their accents come to it. But then also we get to know they're gay because one of the um, there's there's some f slurs getting dropped. Um, one of uh, one character refers to them later in it, and this is a quote from the screenplay: two faggot interior decorators and a lady cab driver." That's that's where we're at about here. It it reminded me very much of Peter Bradshaw's reference to uh, the film Beautiful, uh, <laughs> pa- right. a pair of gay ga- uh, whatever they're called Chinese gang masters. Yeah, yeah, a pair of gay Chinese gang. It's so diminutive. Love it, love it, love it. Anyway, so the the gay dudes get back and uh, Blackula pops out and eats them. Blah 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 blah. And then but Blackula falls in love with this lady who's. Uh, sister's boyfriend is a science detective who begins going but wait a <laughs> minute what even is that job he is you are he's like a science he, detective. he says that he's a scientist i made a note of it he says i'm a scientific detective <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that you're watching him going like he seems to work with the police but yeah he's not a pathologist no because he's he's not he's a it says he's a pathologist he's not he is like he's, he's like, a scientific I'm a, yeah, detective I'm a science detective. he's a science yeah. detective um and anyway he's like 1972 cool as all holy hell um he like you know, great tash great hair yeah goes to clubs and sits down and every it like yeah anyway then he's there chilling at this lady's birthday but uh count uh, blackula comes in because he's after falling in love with his sister because she looks exactly like his old missus she's in love with blackula as well by the way but then midway through the whole thing blackula starts getting hungry actually no blackula's first public kill is quite funny because he's chasing this lady down the street after freaking her out and a cab knocks him over and then he just bites the lady to death and uh, goes away on his business no reason yeah 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 uh, well, I like when he goes into the club and he's wearing his cape and he oh, yeah. he fits in perfectly at ninety in a 1972 like, oh, black that's club. My favorite. Like, that makes sense. Was, there's a guy in a cape and then there's that one character, I love Skillet. Him. He's my favorite Yeah, he's character. my favorite he's too. Like, 
I want to knock that motherfucker out of his cape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it like? He's and he's clearly like not an actor. That fella. Um, oh yeah, he's just some guy who was in the club. Yeah, right? yeah. What's it? He goes he, like the line. He's they make him say like three times. He goes, "Say, man, that is one strange dude." <laughs> Why is that dude so strange? Yeah. Because he's a strange dude. It's a strange dude. You know, he, that's the earliest iteration of the you know the black guy from Superman who goes, "I gotta get me some clothes <laughs> like that." Um, but anyway, yeah, so it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, at that point i think it is still funny i it kind of yeah you're right it starts to take itself very seriously and you real once you realize that that's happening you're like no no don't do that if this had maintained the ridiculousness i think i would have enjoyed it more but I, it annoyed me by the last half hour i must admit yeah. Uh, anyway yeah to get to the end of the plot fucking black healer goes around and just randomly bites a ton of people yeah it's yeah. meant like the number of people he turns into vampires yeah and then they're they all you know they're in this warehouse near the end and a cop uh, shoots the lady kills a cop kills whatever her name is um that he's in love with Luva uh, yeah cop kills Luva and then Blackula goes mad he makes a big speech and then they blow up this no they don't he kills himself by wandering out onto the roof yeah um, but that's a weird thing at the end like they go down to some underground chemical plant yeah oh and then the- oh that's his that's his new hideout that's why they go down there but yeah he sacrifices his life he decides to commit suicide at the end and then it zooms in on his face and it's all maggoty turns he's all turns into maggots yeah yeah vampires turn into maggots that was what, what it- I like in that in that final showdown there's a <laughs> there's a couple of great deaths where he kills he throws one guy off of like the third floor he just like picks him up and throws him down and he's just the most hilarious like yeah, man, yeah. falling slowly and then there's the other guy where he picks up a he picks up like a kind of trash can bin thing and <laughs> throws it down like the lightest bin in the world he throws it down at a guy's head and he just sort of like bounces off of the guy's head and the guy's fine isn't it quite funny the way um everybody knows this like uh, 70s karate kind of thing <laughs> everyone's like back there's a lot of slapping yeah 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 backhanding like and real, thumping real on the back yeah yeah totally it's a few things that like began to bug me is what it looks like they made this in about five days because like <laughs> bet- like so like there's this office set for example where this the scientific detective is talking to the police chief or something i don't know uh and he like it's supposed to like it's supposed to be like two or three scenes over a few different days and i don't know what it is i'm sure a film director would be able to point out to me maybe it's the lighting maybe it's something else but you just know that the scenes were shot 2 minutes apart in real time <laughs> you just know they were i can't exp- and it's the same with the club thing you know it was all shot in an yeah, afternoon it's the same night even like even if it's and you know it's on a set as well and i don't know that kind of, like maybe that stuff didn't bug people at all but here's the thing is like i can get along fine with stuff like this if it leans it's decent if it stays ridiculous is what i would say like well, the only coffee is ridiculous the entire way through mm-hmm. and it's quite fun um but this kind of gets po-faced it's a bit of a bummer it's, it's very lifeless I mean, the things i did enjoy i mean i like the music yeah, the mu- the that's mu- about it. Music's solid, good nineteen early seventies funk score. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. The music, um, and but this whole uh, like, of course, like kickstarted a whole subgenre, the like black exploitation horror. I don't know. It's interesting that it's it's interesting that 
basically they had to make a whole sub subgenre of films generally just to cater to black audiences and that i mean that speaks to something to do with representation you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it like it also speaks to why i suppose the fir- like next week we're going to be talking about um black panther wakanda forever and why the first black panther was such a big deal and yes i am comparing black panther to uh, black yellow just because i mean just goes to show how important representation can mean and is like you know if the film Black Panther, you know, lifted people up to really see themselves represented on screen. Imagine how shitty Blackula had the potential to make people feel, you know? Or maybe they just didn't know any better. I don't know. Have you ever seen a Nollywood film? It looks like a Nollywood film. No, that's I haven't seen anything of that. That's they they have a huge film industry over there. They right? do, yeah. It's there's actually yeah, an interesting Legos. an interesting documentary about it on Netflix at the moment. Like they make like thousands of movies every year. And the thing is, people just like go down to these stands and they're stands that look like you remember when dudes used to sell pirate DVDs on the street. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. And but it's just like but they're not pirate DVDs, they're the real DVDs and people just go down and go, <laughs> Oh, it's a gangster film. Yeah, sure, give me three gangster films. <laughs> And like, you know, they're very interchangeable plots. People are making between like, you know, they'll make a movie in a week. Easy. You know, it's it's an interesting documentary. Um, and, but like the, the they are crushing it in terms of uh, money over there. They're making huge amounts of money. And like the thing is, then the films look so ridiculous. And but then it'll show a guy at a the same sort of editing bay that people in my company use. You know what I mean? So they're editing on like pro <laughs> software, but it's just a, a lower standard of product but i mean it works for them respect. what can i say yeah 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 not much respect for blackula though um it, have you got anything to say about the cast i doubt it uh well uh our main man blackula himself william marshall was uh was blacklisted as a matter of fact oh really yeah yeah he was um he was blacklisted as a as a damn dirty commie doing all sorts of commie mm-hmm. gobbledygook he had um he like it was in the early 50s and he was starring in a in a show called Harlem Detective which is a series about um just black police officers which probably would have been a big deal in the early 50s but the show was cancelled when um uh, Marshall was named as a communist in some newsletter mm-hmm. he always denied um the communist um connections and actually there like there are there's some conspiracy about that in hollywood that like an like certain black actors on the rise were taken down just because they weren't conforming to a certain type of black character you know and i suppose him leading a uh detective show would have been an example of that but he was a, a thespian originally and also uh, an, uh, an interesting bit um sydney poitier spoke at his funeral which is pretty cool that's nice you know isn't that nice Vanetta McGee, um, I've seen her before. I had seen her in uh, The Great Silence. She's dead now. Uh, she died uh, of a heart attack when she was 60. Um, you know, big killer in the black community. Yeah. just uh, And uh, then, of course, we've got uh, our old friend from The Killing, who uh, is Alicia Cook Jr., who's, uh, you can hear interesting stories about him if... Uh, you listened to our episode about the killing, <laughs> where Andy did a lot of research. Just like, <laughs> like episode two or three or something. Yeah, yeah. I actually listened to it's it recently. Doors. It's pretty good. <laughs> I did actually listen to it recently. It's good. Fair play. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, indeed. That's about all I have to say about that. I like. I, That's fair. Yeah. I don't. I don't expect anything more. Ugh, yeah, it is. Uh, to anybody out there who's thinking about being a completist, you don't need to watch Blackula. You just think you do. I just think I made a huge mistake and I don't, I thought I was big and clever, but 
I was hoisted by my own petard. You were a bit hoisted by your own petard, but I mean, at the same time, this is what the pod is all about. I've ne- like even it's about experimenting. Yeah. It's about hearing from a wide range of diverse voices. I mean, you know, it's by pushing the boat out in this way that we ended up watching Tuki Buki and seeing that that creepy, which was actually good. That though. that creepy gay fella who's one of the best characters in cinema history. Do you remember him? <laughs> I've already forgot. Oh yeah, yeah, the guy with the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. and he's he's he keeps he was quality. He's, he's there rubbing the main character's back, trying to get him to be yeah. gay with him. Going here, have a shirt. Let's have a bath together. Yeah, yeah, he's one of the greatest characters ever. Uh, yeah, guys, watch Tuki Buki. No need to watch Blackula. Actually, good. Yeah, yeah. Why are you connecting those two films? I don't know. Um, why does why does that connect in your mind? The African connection. Oh, that's right, Mama Walde. Mama course, Walde is from uh, Africa. Remember. An African prince, indeed. Yeah. The impression that, like, Sisters gives of, like, a lived-in world and, like, Blackula so kind of lifeless in the exact same way. Do you know what I mean? Which is, I think that's a problem of LA a little bit. Apart from, obviously, budget yeah, you could be skill, right. You could skill be right. levels probably have something to do with it, but New York feels like a character in Sisters and then LA feels like sets. Yeah. Anyway, fuck this bullshit. What do you, what do you got for the toss for next week? Well, I was having a look through Academy Award nominated films at some point, and I came across a film I hadn't even really heard of, Louis Mal's 1980 film Atlantic City, which was nominated for the Big Five. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it either. Uh, I've heard of Louis Mal. Um, I've seen yeah. Elevator to the Gallows and maybe one. I've seen Zazie Down La Metro. Um, that's actually got quite a cast, doesn't it, Atlantic City? Yeah, yeah. Burt Lancaster, Susan Sarandon. Sweet. Or surrounded. Well, I'm um, I'm bringing something of uh, another famous director, uh, probably in the end a director almost almost more famous than anybody he ever directed, except maybe Steve McQueen. Talking about Sam Peckinpah, and the film I'm talking about is Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. I will be aiming to watch the um, director's cut that's supposed to be actually good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's what I got. All right, you got a coin? I do. I've got a coin right here. It is a 50 cent euro coin. So on one side, we have got 50. And on the other side, it is Cervantes' head. Um, Give me head. Okay. It is 50. Ah, lame. Uh, Whatever. Sorry. No, nah, it's okay. Uh, Atlantic City seems good. Um, you could probably very easily guess what I'm lining up beside it. Well, let me tell you what you could have won first. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, that would have been uh, a Spaghetti Western I've been looking at of late. I was thinking of watching, which is uh, Sergio Corbucci's The Great Silence. Familiar with that? The Great Silence? Yeah, yeah. We were just talking about it. Yeah. If you, I have, I've seen that. It's, were we? It's really okay. good. It's really great. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. What's her chops? Vanetta McGee from Blackula is in The Great Silence. All right. Did you just mention that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, oh, yeah. She's third on the cast list. Well, we're not watching that now. So it doesn't matter. No, we're not. And I just, I think I, I just had an idea mm-hmm. for, yeah, okay. All right. I, I was, go, I was, do you, do you want to hear what you could have won before You're I ju- an audible. I just changed yeah, my mind right, I now, won, <laughs> right now? Because I just changed my mind. I was going to uh, pop down another Louis Mal film, My Dinner with Andre, uh, down. Oh, yeah. I was, yeah, I haven't watched that. But go ahead. But instead, I'm going to, let's uh, be completist about a filmmaker we were talking about today and watch 
a film that maybe ruined his career, a lot of people say, uh, also set in a gambling town. I'm talking about Francis Ford Coppola's 1982 film, One from the Heart, which I've never seen. Okay. Hell yeah. All right, let's do it. I probably rather would have watched My Dinner with Andre, but I'll take One from the Heart. You can just watch My Dinner with Andre anyway. No. I do recommend, though, if you want to watch other Louis Mel, Elevator to the Gallows is really good. I seem to. Did he not direct um, Au Revoir les Enfants? Is that him? Oh, uh, yes, that was him. I watched that uh, when I was at school, I remember. What's it about? I don't remember, but I remember it had uh, Young Boys Willies in it. Nice. Yeah. I'm I think a- it's, it's, it's about his childhood. About how far into the film is the Willies? <laughs> I can't remember the exact. Uh, Fuck. Minutes. But I do remember, I do remember people commenting on it when we watched it at school. Of course they did. Man, I remember year, um, <laughs> years ago in, in, in uni watching, um, what you call it, the Better Meinhof Complex. And like, it's such an awesome film. And then uh, early on in it, uh, just because this German family are at the beach and their their son, who's like four years old, runs up to them, the couple and uh, like he's naked because he's a kid and he's at the beach and that's what things are like in Europe. Like, you know, it's, it's not like that in Ireland, obviously. This little naked boy is just run up and he's just, you know, eating crisps there. His parents are talking. And uh, my my flatmates in Ireland were so disgusted with it, they refused to watch the rest of the film. And it was it was like a minute at most. <laughs> and they're like, nah, Respect. fucking fuck this, fuck this. Uh, all right. Uh, looking forward to uh, Louis Mal and uh, Francis Ford uh, C., Let's see, did, mm-hmm. let's see, did he deserve to ruin his career? Also, Tom Waits wrote the songs, if you like Tom Waits. Uh, spoilers. There we are. Okay, and uh, I'm going to see you Saturday to see Sam Peckinpah film anyway, so that'll be fun. It will be. All right. I assume. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.